We're going to talk about this with Brother Andre Marie of the St. Benedict Center and the host of Reconquest Radio. Brother, good morning. Good morning, Mike. How are you doing today? I am well, thank you. Uh, Sisters made it back. Can I put on my. You go ahead. Sisters made it back okay? They made it back great, yes. And with with lots of stories of the wonderful conference out there. Uh, they were very popular. Um, uh, there's all sorts of video out there now. A sister trying to play, her, or not trying to, playing her violin to try and entice the cows to come to the sound. Which <laughs> I saw that one this morning. Now, now this is supposed to work. Now Maggie says it works, it work. uh, but she got beat out by the water because the cows. <laughs> And cows ran out of water sometime on Saturday evening. And when they backed the water truck up five minutes before Sister appeared with her violin, the cows went, mm, and you hear the violin, I think I'm going to stick with the water. <laughs> <laughs> so she was she was unable to entice them. But, you know, she's so peppy and positive, though. She goes, but look, they're looking. They are. They're looking. They were. <laughs> I'm like, the cows aren't yeah, moving. They, I, they were. In the, in the, well, the video that I saw, they were looking. They at were it. looking. They were um, looking. Michael Thomas took a video. Uh, took, I have video, too, as well. From a completely different angle. <laughs> it, was, uh, it, was, uh, it, it was fun to watch. And, of course, the sisters brought their violins out on Saturday night at the bonfire and dazzled all the crowd with, uh, with dancing, uh, dancing fiddle music, if you will. <laughs> so. one, of the, one of the guys, uh, one of the funny stories I heard was um, related. The sisters didn't hear this in real time. It was related to them later by, by Michael Thomas. They were, they were, apparently there were a bunch of men sitting around a sort of exclusive all-male gathering. Oh, I know exactly that all-male gathering. I know exactly which okay. one it was. And some old-timer who was a local was talking about Sister Maria Philomena and said, that nun knows more about hogs than I do. <laughs> <laughs> and that got reported to Sister later, to both of the sisters, and they were laughing about it. And then, and then he, that same old timer said, "Never seen a nun reach into the gut bucket before," <clears throat> because during the during the pig slaughter, Sister was became the impromptu narrator. Apparently, yes, she was. And. Uh, she was explaining, you know, what they're doing and everything, and she says, "Oh, and look, look in here!" And she just like rolls up her sleeves and reaches into this slimy <laughs> gut bucket with all the all the viscera in it, and grabbed some grabbed out some organ and was showing it off. Uh, I mean, I've seen her do this stuff, so uh, it, it doesn't surprise me. But it's funny; the old timer thought it was quite a quite a spectacle, so he had to comment on it. It, it was funny because I was on the stage uh, at the main tent talking with someone uh, when the pigs were offloaded from the trailer that they were in. Then the tractor was brought over, and then uh, all you heard was a bam. Well, before you heard the bam, you heard you heard squealing. I've never heard squealing like this before. And someone that was near me went, "Now that's the sound of a stuck pig." Oh yeah, oh yeah. You I know, mean, squeal they, they like do. a stuck pig. The old adage goes, "That's." I've used that. I've used that expression. And then when when we started having the pigs around here, I said, "Oh, now I get it." Oh, if you've ever heard the sound of a stuck pig, brother. <laughs> it's a sound you will not forget. My only regret was I wasn't recording. I think someone did record it, though. Someone recorded the, uh, the two pigs being uh, uh, being humanely uh, uh, brought to their end, if you will. And uh, then they were uh, the the tractor, the, the bucket on the tractor was used on the front end loader to basically use the chain. 
and they were they were uh, they were hanged upside down, and they were trucked on over to go be seasoned with beast and butt rub, by the way, to go be seasoned and uh, then prepared. Uh, and we had it. Uh, we had to pick Saturday night or Saturday evening for uh, as I <laughs> when I made the announcement, I said, well, just a couple of minutes, we're going to be serving what you Yankees call dinner. But down in the south, we call it, uh, we're going to be ringing the supper bell, and we'd like for you to join us for supper. <laughs> and I get that from Professor Livingston. Uh, Mark, do you have any plans for supper? I'm like, well, no, Professor Livingston, as a matter of fact, I don't. <laughs> I love the um, term can I, supper. Can, I, yes, can I put on my petty fogger hat briefly? Oh, what did I do? Very briefly. I must well, have gotten the state of conscious wrong. No, no, no. You, you referred to Bishop uh, Schneider as uh, his eminence. It's excellency. Yeah, it's excellency. I just thought I'd point it out. It's not, not to be correct, correct or I just want people to understand there is a difference. Excellency is a bishop. Eminence is a, is a cardinal. And if you're British, you can call a bishop, an archbishop, your grace, which I've done before, but they don't seem to like it. Yes, they use that term in Man for All Seasons. You could see the term, yeah. your grace yeah, it's, being it's, used. It's not used in the entire Anglosphere, but it is used in the UK and probably in most of the rest of the Anglosphere because we Americans love to put ourselves in a bubble and say, well, that's British. And it's like, no, that's actually English. You guys changed it. <laughs> uh, anyway. So, Eddie um, Fogger hat off. Okay, no, it's good. I, I, I don't mind being fraternally corrected. Uh, and, and actually, this, this has come up recently. I just have a brain. I have a, this is a, just my mind just, just not. You're about the 30th person that has corrected me on that, and I still keep getting it wrong. And I don't know why. <laughs> why you can't under, uh, get the difference between eminence and excellency. Maybe I should just start referring to Archbishop Gregory Amon uh, as, as his excellency every day. And uh, when I pray for him, and maybe that will uh, that'll cement it into my mind. In any event, no worries there, brother. I did read Bishop Athanasius uh, Schneider's letter, though, here, that he sent to the remnant on the validity of the pontificate of Pope Francis. I think there's some stuff in here that's really valuable to all Catholics and even our Protestant friends to kind of understand a little bit about why we have a supreme uh, a supreme pontiff, uh, kind of what, what some of his limitations are, um, and why it is necessary that the chair uh, of Peter be occupied, um, what his actual authorities are. There's a lot of confusion about that, brother. And then if, if it is determined, or if we, if we were a series of we's, were to determine that he's in some kind of error or, or, or whatever you wish to, 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 to call that, what can be done about it? So this is a really good. It's a good. This is a, a good opportunity for a wisdom Wednesday and some teaching moments here, because I know I certainly learned uh, from reading this piece. So uh, yeah, let's do it, brother. Yeah. Okay. So um, I mean, the value the value of this is not that he's putting out anything new, because right. these are the these are the arguments. I mean, if you go to a much longer thing that I have at um, Catholicism.org. From a conference, from our first St. Benedict Center conference, which was in at a hotel in Fitchburg, Massachusetts, in 1997, I gave a talk um, called um, "The Popes in the Modern Crisis," and it was about Advocantism. 
and it, it's, it, it follows most of the same arguments. Um, you know, these the, the, many of the Sedevicantists quote Pope, um, they, will, they will quote St. Robert Bellarmine and his opinion about, you know, the, the possibility of an heretical Pope, and they quote his opinion on the matter as if it's dogma. And as Bishop Athanasius Schneider has pointed out, in the entire history of the Catholic Church, this opinion has never been acted upon. And um, the, 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 now that's not to you know, insult St. Robert Bellarmine. St. Robert, Robert Bellarmine was one of the most, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, he, he was, he, his writings are copious. Um, he wrote an awful lot of um, words on an awful lot of subjects, most, most having to do with controversial issues, or at least most famously having to do with controversial issues between Catholics and the Protestants, because he was the, essentially the founder of, of what was called um, controversial theology or, or uh, apologetics, but in, in the specific sense of, of answering the objections against um, the Catholic Church by Protestants. He's also considered the father of ecclesiology because of that very thing. So he wrote an awful lot, a prolific r writer on theological topics. So he's bound to make a few mistakes. And the same thing is true of St. Thomas. The same thing is true um, in the making mistakes part of all of the saints, all of the theological writers. So the idea that, that you know, that, that what a, a doctor of the church says must therefore be infallible is itself not a Catholic uh, view. Um, anyway, um, <clears throat> so it's not, it's, it, it's never been acted upon. It's, it's, so it's speculation, and speculation's fine. I mean, scholastic theology is also called speculative theology. That's the nature of the beast. But it's not been enshrined in the law of the church. And in fact, the closest thing that ever came to it was something from Gratian's Decretals, which was, was um, considered the church's law, and it, it talked about a hypothetical case. And as Bishop Athanasius Schneider points out, when Pope St. Pius X codified the, the, the first, well, he called for the first single-body code of canon law. It didn't get codified in his lifetime because it came out in 1917, so it's called the Pio Benedictine Code of Canon Law because Pius called for it, but Pope Benedict XV is the one who codified it. When the Pio Benedictine Code came out in 1917, it struck that. It didn't have that in it. So the idea that, um, you know, what, what, what happens in the case of an heretical pope is very much a debated point, and the very fact that it is debated means there's no certainty on there. And the, the fact is, throughout the history of the church, when you've had popes who have said heretical things or close to heretical things, um, I would say that, that they did say heretical things outright, um, either approving uh, semi-Arian formulae or the, the, or the monothelite heresy. You know, basically um, saying that this was okay. Uh, Charles Colomb and I did a whole show on this uh, did, uh, for Reconquest. We did an interview. Um, sorry if I just made a creepy noise with sorry. the computer sliding it across the desk. Um, but uh, we did a whole show on this uh, for Reconquest uh, called, I think we called it Papacy um, Powerful but Limited or something like that. Um, and the idea was it's. It's, a, it's the most powerful office on earth. Okay, I called it, we called it the papacy divine and limited. 
And in there, we discussed a few of the historical cases. Charles, of course, being a, um, a, an excellent historian, uh, we, we bantered around various historical uh, phenomena surrounding this, especially the case of Honorius I, who I actually think did come out and say, or at least approve of her, something heretical. And he was censured for it by, an ecumen by more than one ecumenical council. He was posthumously anathematized by ecumenical councils. And that, and, and by the way, posthumous uh, excommunications were a thing in the, in, in, at this time in church history. So it wasn't like we're saying, yeah, we're taking this dead guy who, and we're throwing him out of the church militant. They weren't stupid. They, they were excommunicated. They were anathematizing him to declare what he was saying cursed, right? To 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 anathematize the ideas. Um, so um, I think it's a slam dunk, you know that that uh, that you you can in theory have an heretical pope, and you know there's a principle of canon law that goes back um, a very long time, hundreds if not over a thousand years, which is nemo judicat papam. Nobody judges the pope. Now, obviously, that doesn't include God, because <laughs> uh, he's the ultimate. He's the ultimate judge. judge. Our Lord Jesus Christ is is the judge, because as he himself says in Saint John's Gospel, uh, I think it's chapter five. All judgment is given to the Son by the Father. So, um, yeah, it, it's I, I, I. We've always here thought that the state of Acantus thing was a was a a, a, no, a no brainer. Is it was a complete. Um, non-starter, if you will, and whatever other modern um, terms of <laughs> commonplace terms I can use, uh, meaning, you know, something something we don't accept. Um, I, I feel bad for Father Altman, but it's, it's, he's, he's the Johnny-come-lately on a very bad idea. And as Michael Matt pointed out um, recently, you know, you know, we were around here decades ago, and when this, when these issues are first being brought up, and we heard it, we thought about it, and we rejected it, <laughs> and that goes for us too here. Anyway, it's, 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 it's for the uh, those that are listening though, um, uh, for Bishop Athanasius Schneider to um, uh, to feel the need to send this particular letter on to the remnant, um, and uh, I, I would assume that. Other outlets like Catholic Family News will probably reprint it, you know, at least on their uh, their websites, um, uh, and that it would it will make its way out and will be read by many people. But for this thing to have grown to the to the point where a, a bishop, especially Bishop Schneider, who recently also brother told Bishop Bishop Strickland of, of, of Texas, what did he say? Uh, uh, future uh, future bishops are going uh, are going to thank you. A future popes. Future will thank popes you. are going to thank yeah. you for what you're doing, Bishop. Um, uh, there hasn't been any pronouncement on Bishop uh, 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 Strickland of, of, of Tower, Texas, that I know of yet. Has there? No, Nothing's the results happened. of the apostolic visitation haven't been made known yet. But uh, there's been there's been a you know pillar Catholic, which is run by a couple of canon lawyers, who obviously have some connections and have some informed sources. They say basically it's a slam dunk. He's going to be asked to uh, to resign, and he himself has has said after hearing that that he has absolutely no intention to resign, which I think is the right thing to do. Um, make them fire you. Don't make it easy on them. 
I have, uh, in secular terms, brother, that's sound advice in many instances. No, I'm not going to give you the victory. Earn it, especially when it's unjust. And and by the way, it's uncanonical for for the Pope. See, there's a... (laughs) It's interesting because these two stories, these two, the Bishop uh, Schneider's two letters um, are connected at a deep level. And it's, it's, they're connected concerning something that is one of the issues du jour, which is the nature of the papacy. And there has been for a long time a very exaggerated, uh, a very exaggerated view on the nature of the Supreme Pontificate. The Ro- the Roman Pontiff. I mean, even even that word Pontiff, I hear people refer to the Pope as quote the Pontiff. Now, <clears throat> um, you know, okay, I'm being a corrected corrector son, and I'm doing so unapologetically. All every bishop is a Pontiff. Every bishop is a Pontiff. Pontifex uh, it was the old Latin word in 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 Roman in the Roman religion, in the Roman civic religion, for uh, a bridge build, it literally means bridge I was going to say, doesn't builder. pont mean bridge? Pontus, pontus, it means uh, bridge in Latin. And uh, ponte is the Italian word. So all those bridges that cross the Tiber in Rome, it's ponte sisto, ponte, ponte whatever. There's ponte this, ponte that, and ponte the other. But pontus means uh, bridge. And um, a factor is a maker. Uh, pontifex is the amalgamation of the two word. It's a bridge builder. So the idea was that the emperor was a bridge builder. Why? Mm. He was a priest. Why? Because he built a bridge between earth and heaven. Ah. Now this is so. So the concept of priesthood and the concept of bridge builder uh, were united in the in the Roman mind. So the concept got. And of course, here's where the here's where certain kinds of Protestants say, "See, admit you're a pagan. <laughs> we knew it all along." <laughs> But the, the uh, no, it's, it's the idea of baptizing a concept that has some value. The concept of the priesthood, whether it's the uh, Aaronic priesthood, the priesthood that existed before Aaron, where you had, you know, um, Cain and Abel offering sacrifice, for instance, um, or if it's the, or, or Melchizedek, um, or if it's the priesthood of the New Testament, they are bridge builders um, between heaven and earth. And of course, this, this as all concept as all concepts attached to the priesthood are, this applies most excellently and most fully and completely to our Lord Jesus Christ himself, who so bridged heaven and earth that he is both true God and perfect man, right? That is the bridge between heaven and earth. So the, um, the, the, the idea of pontifex, it, it, it's applied to every bishop. L- look at, look at uh, the missal, uh, a, a martyr pontiff, you know, um, so, there, anyway, that, and the word pontiff is used in the official prayers and language of the church to refer to a bishop. The pope is the Roman pontiff That's what I was or say, the Roman pontiff. supreme pontiff. Mm-hmm. And both of those adjectives are necessary, or either one of them is necessary to qualify this pontiff as being the pope. Okay, so there's one thing. Now, the, um, the other thing is, how are they connected, these two things? They're connected based upon the limits of papal authority. You know, back in the day when John Paul II was was considered to be a conservative and traditional pope, and, um, you know, the extreme progressivists were the bane of the church, um, you know, the guys who are running things now weren't then. 
you had moderate progressivists running the church then. Now you have, you know, the, the concilium guys, the, the, the reform of the reform, you know, the various descriptions that attach themselves. But you had these um, uh, popes who were not traditionalists, and, and, and their, their ideas were very much, uh, had a lot of novelties embedded in them, sort of a lukewarm neo-modernism. They were influenced by Kant and many other novel theology guys. Uh, I said Kant, I meant Rahner. Um, and Rahner, of course, is influenced by Kant. So when you look at the when you look at the Pope then, who was considered conservative and traditional, but he really wasn't. When we look at him and who who were the bad boys in in those days, uh, the real radical liberals like Eskila Bax or somebody like that or mm -hmm. Hans Kung. Now we look at we look at that scenario and and people were saying, oh. The Pope should really do something about Bishop so and so, or, or Bishop thus and such, who allowed you know this this awful theologian to give a talk in his diocese. Well, the liberals, the the uber progressivists, would always say, "Well, the, but the local bishop's not just a branch manager, uh, working for the Pope." And what's interesting is they were right; they were right then. And that's still true. The hilarious thing historically, and when you've been paying attention to this stuff long enough, then you get the joke. The hilarious thing is now the very type of person who then was saying the Pope isn't the branch manager, the, the, the bishop isn't the branch manager for the Pope, they're acting as if the local bishops are just the branch managers for the Pope. <laughs> and the the, the the where where Peter is guys and all these all these um, folks who are the leading um, pope splainers as some people call them pope uh, the ones who are constantly the the apologists for Pope Francis they are more um, ultramontane than Dom Guerinjay when it comes to defending the 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 the, the, the supposed yet false prerogatives of the papacy. The papacy is, a, is an office which is, it's divinely instituted, it's august, it's the highest office in the church, but as Charles and I called the show, actually I came up with the name, it's limited. It's a limited thing. And what's it limited to? Well, tradition. It's limited to the, to the actual doctrine and the deposit of faith. And as soon as the Pope departs from um, defending, promulgating, uh, protecting the deposit of faith. Um, he's not protected by the Holy Ghost. When John Paul II talked about the theology of the body <clears throat> and personalism, and I, I've gotten in arguments about theology of the body, I think it was an extremely destructive thing. And um, his personalist philosophy was extremely destructive. I'm not judging his person. I'm not, judge I'm not saying he wasn't the Pope. I'm not saying... Um, I'm not saying that uh, he he was a, a horrible person or anything like that, or accusing him of, of any particular. You just think sin. he was wrong in that particular instance. I think that he was a, a a compromised philosopher. He was a brilliant man. I mean, he knew more languages than I'll ever know. Um, he he was he was um, he was brilliant, very gifted man. Um, yet. You know, he fell in for this um, th this bankrupt philosophy called personalism, and he was one of the authors of a bankrupt 
Yeah, I could say philosophically bankrupt system known as Lublin existential personalism, which was crammed down my throat when I was at Holy Apostles. And what one of our chat room commenters can say the same thing. Um, he, he he knew all about it, um, but it, and it and it and it absolutely is bankrupt. I mean, it's 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 metaphysically bankrupt. And they, it's, it's a duck-billed platypus whereby they attempted to fuse Thomistic metaphysics onto existentialism and, and um, phenomenology. And it doesn't work. So, so anyway, you can criticize these things. That's my point. You can criticize these things. Back in the day, if you criticized John Paul II, you were absolutely villainous to the quote-unquote conservatives. Well, nowadays, those same people, or at least people of that same, um, let's say, uh, stripe or that... I don't want to say stripe, that sounds like a bad connotation. The people who are on that part of the spectrum are, are going to be making the same arguments the, 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 the you know, really bad, mad, rad trads were making back in those days. And they're going to start making the necessary distinctions between the person of the Pope or the Pope's personal opinions and his office of teacher, uh, universal teacher. Uh, and um, that you know, so what I've been saying for years is when the, the when the Holy Father chooses not to use the gifts of the Holy Ghost that He's promised, the charismata that He's promised as uh, as the Roman Pontiff, when He chooses not to use them, which is you know most of the time, uh, because frankly they're they're very rarely uh, making ex cathedra statements. For instance, when they're talking about doctrine, when he when he when he chooses not to use that highest authority and he's going to go on and talk about doctrinal or philosophical matters he doesn't have the protection promised by the holy ghost to the pope that's a key word it's a very simple concept and at that point he's choosing not to exercise infallibility unless of course he's simply repeating what's always been taught always everywhere and by everyone and that's where most teaching takes place by bishops and by popes is simply referring to tradition. You know, 99% of what's in Vatican II, or at least as far as the doctrinal content, is simply repeating what was always taught. And in as much as as it does that, you know, guess what? Vatican II said there's one God and three persons, right? I mean, it's in Vatican II. The doctrine of the Trinity is in Vatican II. But that was always taught. I was going to say, that was nothing new under the sun. (laughs) Brother Andre Marie, the host of Reconquest Radio and the prior at the St. Benedict Center, whose annual conference you are all invited to coming up uh, October 13th and 14th in Richmond, New Hampshire. You can come and see Brother Charles Coulomb, uh, yours truly, Krista Voss, who I met at the Catholic Land Movement this weekend, Sister Maria Felomena, Joe Doyle, and Hugh Owen. Go ahead and uh, register today. Uh, we want to fill St. Joseph Hall up this year. It's easy to do. Go to catholicism.org forward slash conference. Um, brother, the, uh, the, there's a quote in the letter uh, at the Remnant story where uh, uh, the uh, editor has quoted Bishop Athanasius Schneider. And I think that this is a, a good takeaway. The surer Catholic tradition says that in the case of a heretical pope, The members of the church can avoid him, resist him, refuse to obey him, all of which can be done without requiring a theory or opinion that says that a heretical pope automatically loses his office or can be deposed consequently. 
I wasn't there this weekend, but uh, Midas Chur told me that in Father Damien's homily this week uh, that something similar to this came up about being in the company of other humans who are heretics or who say heretical things, or maybe they just say things that <laughs> virtuous people shouldn't say. And Father Damien was saying, you absolutely should pray for them, but you are free to disobey them, disassociate with them, and you are also free to pray for them at a great distance. <laughs> so, what's that? Wait, what you gonna tell, tell? He said you were under no obligation no wonder, to put yourself in a position where you had to be near that person if they didn't bring you joy or if they made you upset or angry or despair in any kind of way. Yeah, because there are people that say, no, you have to stay. No, you have to tough it out. You have to be there for him. No, I don't. No, I don't. Uh, Brother Francis actually said this in one of the Philosophy of Perennis lectures about the difference between obligation and, oh, I forget, you, 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 you'd have to fill that gap in. But I do remember him saying that you are not under the obligation. You are, uh, uh, his salvation is not on you or something to that effect. Um, so not that the same exact principle here, but you do have, you. if, if, if he were to, if, if, if Big Frank, as Mike Parra calls him, if Pope, if Pope Francis were to say, were to say something so outlandish and so heretical, and then would start firing out apostolic letters off to bishops to have it implemented in dioceses across the world, good bishops would then would be then free to, and hopefully they many of them would say no. No, I won't. I'm not going to do it. It's. I think that's what the, the the bishop is trying to communicate. Well, there were bishops who ignored traditionis custodes, and there just, were bishops that also ignored uh, amoris laetitia. Yeah. Some parts of them. I, I can. I, I. I can give you a personal story. I can, can tell you straight up that it was ignored. And and the point here is, um, uh, uh, again, Bishop Athanasius Snyder is is being charitable here. And he, he, he's seen people talk about this and from his station in life, which is a great one. He's trying to say, look, this is how you can approach this and giving guidance. He's actually being a shepherd, which is a good thing and certainly something we could all use. Um, Brother Andre Marie is here with me on another Wisdom Wednesday here. We do this every Wednesday and there are seasons one and two, as we call them, at Wisdom Wednesday. You can listen to all of them at the all new CrusadeMax.com. CrusadeMax.com. Brother sent me some uh, several stories yesterday, but brother, quickly, if I may, I would like to refer to the latest issue of Manchipia, which just arrived in a mailbox yesterday. Ah. I would like for you to pass on personally, and I will send her a, a note, or I'll tell her when I see her, uh, that I very much enjoyed Sister Maria Therese's piece about the hourglass. Okay, I will. Yeah, that was good. It that was, was very... it was so relatable. She was <laughs> how she was relating that. Well, certain certain uh, silly things or mundane things can be made exciting by putting time limits on them. I'm like, that's <laughs> it seems so simple, but uh, it's also true. And then how she related at the uh, uh, at the end about the rosary beads, and I'm going like, oh, oh, raggy, guilty as charged. How many times have I gone on my morning walk and I find myself home, and I'm going like, did I do the third mystery? 
I, I think I did. I'm pretty sure that I, I, thought, I'm, I hope that I did. Uh, so if y'all get Manchippi, read Sister uh, Maria Therese's uh, a column in this issue. It's really good. It's very, uh, uh, it has a charm. As, as, again, as Professor Livy would say, it has a charm to it. <laughs> we, we lack charm in things. Uh, brother, can I, I, before we move on to any uh, to another uh, subject, Someone told me recently that Melchizedek is Noah's son. Is that correct? So, aha, uh-huh. you 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 asked me something I actually know about. Um, so, <laughs> so there is a tradition in the East, uh, especially in the Arab world, and the and I think most of the most of the Christian East, that Melchizedek is Sem. Okay, that's what I was told. So Noah Noah had three sons, although there are some extra canonical traditions that he had a fourth son, which I just learned of this weekend. Um, but that's not, and that that ain't in the Bible, so we don't believe it. Um, so uh, anyway, the the story of uh, of uh, Melchizedek. See, so Saint Paul uses Melchizedek as a figure of Christ in the Epistle to the Hebrews. And it's a beautiful thing because what he's doing is he's basing himself on the fact that Melchizedek just sort of comes out of nowhere in the Bible. He's this figure who comes out of nowhere. He's the king of Salem, which literally means king of peace. Mm-hmm. But it was also the place, Salem, which would later become Yerushalem, Jerusalem. Um, so he's the king of Salem, the king of peace, and he's a figure of our Lord. He's a priest not having father or mother. In other words, his, his background, his, his genealogy is a total mystery, like our Lord's, right? So our Lord, as uh, you know, when he came on earth, nobody knew who his real father was, right? Until he revealed that it's his father in heaven. So um, St. Paul uses... Melchizedek as a figure of our Lord in this, and of course he's also a priest, and he, and he calls our Lord uh, a high priest in the order of Melchizedek as distinguished from the order of um, Aaron, right? Uh, uh, the, the Levitical priesthood that came through Aaron. And of course the big connection is that when Melchizedek offered sacrifice on behalf of Abraham, and Abraham gave him tithes, um, what he offered was what? Bread and wine, right? If, if, which would later give us the matter for the Holy Eucharist. So um, St. Paul uses him as a figure of our Lord, specifically as priest and of the priesthood of the New Testament. Um, so, But yeah, there is a tradition in the East that he was, you know, of course he did have a father and mother. He wasn't just, you know, some, some miraculously conceived being who dropped down from heaven. And St. Paul didn't claim that. He's just talking about his known ge- genealogy, which there wasn't one, a known one. But the tradition is that he is none other than Sem, and that Melchizedek was simply his title because he was, you know, the king of Salem. He was the king of that of that place, and that was the title that Shem, Sem or Shem had. Something that most people uh, would probably never uh, say, uh, say, ask a question about. Now, is 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 the line about Melchizedek that's in the uh, traditional uh, Roman rite? Is it in the new? Is it in the the, the Novus Ordo? I don't. I'm um, wondering now. I'm trying to. Is Melchizedek so- mentioned in the canon of the new Mass? I, 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 
I don't know. That's a good um, question for some of you out there. Uh, you, you know, I bet Maggie can find a transcript or of the uh, of the missile and and see. I'm just asking. Iaconus might be able to answer that. I I, I think he is. <clears throat> I think he is. Okay, but um, don't quote me on that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I think Maggie's saying because she uh, went to that mass for many many years that uh, that it is uh, brother we, uh, i assume you have to get to class on time today or that yeah yeah well i do i do yes that's a fair assumption okay <laughs> so we have like what 6 minutes 6 minutes um and uh, there's uh, 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 there are a couple of, of, of things remaining that uh that we could discuss we kind of, we talked a little bit about these sisters and uh, the catholic uh, land movement conference um I can I can tell you that the um, there 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 was a most interesting fellow there. You probably met him. You met Mateus, didn't you? Mateus? Tall Amish-looking guy. There's a buddies with Michael Michael Thomas. Oh, is this the guy with the big white, white beard? beard? Yes. No, I've never met him, but I saw a picture with with him well, in there. He's not supposed to be photographed, but he um, he has not had. He raised eight children. And for 25 years, and that that streak continues to this day, with no electricity, no telephone, no grid, completely and totally off, no gas-powered engines, uh, did all the farming and all the raising of the children and all the providing for the family, just as though Edison never happened. Edison and Bell never happened. Um, and it would just to, to, to hear him tell uh, the, uh, the story, and I think this is my takeaway. When somebody asked, he was like, well, the kids have left their house today. <laughs> they live grid-free lives. And he said, no, they don't, but they have the formation to if they wish. And I thought that was a really kind, humble way to go like, if, you know, no, no, they're not. But should they wish to, they are, they, are, they are formed in such a way that they would know how to do it. That's quite a, uh, most people think of education as bulk learning, <laughs> getting your formulas uh, correct in your, uh, your languages um, and your sciences and what have you here. And that is all important. But there also is the tradition of, of, of learning things that are practically applicable. And certainly, farming skills and learning to feed yourself are applicable. So that's one of the uh, the, the things that um, that I took away from my three days there. And the other thing is, and uh, I, the theme of your conference this year wouldn't lend itself to this, but maybe uh, you and I could talk about. It. Maybe I'll do a, a, a longer monologue on it. There is a sense out there amongst people that are are going the, the back to the land movement people, if you will. There is a sense, and I heard this from enough because I hosted seven talks. I emceed seven talks, so I I'm I'm, I'm just saying I heard hearsay. I heard this said, um, and there is a sense of believe it or not, loneliness, solitude. Um, that these people are, um, many of them feel as though, um, I guess the term would be going it alone. 
and that they, uh, you know, they're 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 <laughs> they're just kind of like they're they're hermits, almost like they they're 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 running hermitages and not homesteads, um, and they don't really know what to say or to do about that. Uh, and I, I I I'm not pronouncing on it one way or the other. I, I'm just repeating an observation that I heard it often enough, brother, for me to say that okay, well, that obviously is uh, something that those of you that are considering homesteading or even or even going further be prepared that at least in the in the initial years you may really feel as though you and your family have become so isolated that you're you're like hermits you're you're one of yeah. the, you're one of the early church fathers that's living in a cave and a bird is bringing you uh, <laughs> a bird yeah well is this, is, this is something that i've warned people against uh, for years um you know the faith the faith is countercultural the the faith I mean, when you have a crappy culture, right. the faith is countercultural. Oh, it's countercultural to this the, one. Right. When you have a good culture, the faith actually could be at the very center of that culture. Um, and then the only danger is that you're Catholic just because everybody else is. Uh, when you have to fight for it, well, there's more opportunity for virtue. Anyway, that aside done, the, 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 there is a problem in the modern world raising your children um, off the grid and all that stuff when you're all alone doing it. And um, it, it, um, I don't, I don't see the point of being totally off the grid. Although I, I, I see the, I do see the point of being able to live off the grid when the grid gets taken away. I, I get it. I understand. I understand the people like, like um, Rick Barrett and so forth who talk about being off grid. They're not talking about um, it as a matter of principle. They're talking about doing this in order to uh, be able to live without it once it's taken away. As least as I understand them, um, but you you know, unfortunately, what happens is this this hermit idea, this idea of being so isolated because you're 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 leaving the corrupt world, it can become very perverted in our modern in our American culture because we have a we have a tradition in Anglo America of being rugged individualists. That's right. Well, that's not Catholic. The whole rugged individualism thing is a, is a Calvinist concept. Um, we believe in the necessity of grace. We also believe that the church itself is a social entity, and humans are inherently social. And if you're going to raise your family and say, no, every, everything else is corrupt, you can't involve yourself in this, that, or the other thing, because not because it's in, inherently corrupt, but because it could be corrupted, right? Now, I'm, so I'm, I realize I'm speaking in vague generalities, but... Unfortunately, what happens when you've got somebody who says, okay, we have to go off grid, we have to live this lifestyle. I know that nobody else wants to do this, so we're just going to go over here all by ourselves and do this. Uh, it, it, it fits in with the home aloner idea of ecclesiology, which is that, yeah, we don't go to mass because there's no pre priest that's perfect. There's no mass that's perfect. You know, there hasn't been a decent pope since Pius X, frankly, and we're just going to kind of go it on our own. And that rep represents a very bad ecclesiology, and it makes for very confused children. So it doesn't surprise me that somebody who raises children that way doesn't pass it on because they're not interested in it. Because it's inherently not human to, be sh to, to, to turn away from all human society. Uh, I'm not saying go to the opposite extreme. No, I mean, why the heck are we in Richmond, New Hampshire? You know, which, by the way, is a nice little town. But we're, we're so it's not like we moved to hell in order to avoid the problems. <laughs> but um, 
my my point is, yeah, we we live in a fairly isolated uh, place, but it's also all about community, and it's also all about living the faith together as a social thing. That's right, and you have and, a community there. And when you don't have a community, and when it's and it is hard when you're the only guy in this area or that area, you're the only family in this area or that area. But to say we're not going to go to mass, and we're, or we're not going to uh, do whatever, uh, you know, uh, um, involve ourselves in other with other people. Well, you know, all you know, respectfully, I ask a question: How the heck are your children going to get married? Oh, and and if they're going <laughs> to if they're going to become priests and religious, where? Because you've just basically made yourself an island, and no man is an island, and no family is an island. So I. I <laughs> I, uh, I I can't get excited about that. What 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 I can get excited about is people doing this together as communities. And look, we're fallen humans, and you can point to many examples. I can point to many more of efforts at this that just collapsed. Well, that's um, what Michael Thomas said. Michael Thomas said this isn't the first Catholic land movement. No, and 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 this is um, it happened when, before when go, and it failed. Collapsed. Yes, and and when you look at uh, look at the people who who did. Um, uh, what was the name of that that magazine? Not Fidelity. Um, um, the, the Angelus Press has reprinted an awful lot of their stuff, but they were like a back to the land group, mm-hmm. and they had all these scholars who were you know writing lots of erudite articles, um, and they said well, we we want to raise our children in a, in, a, in, a, in a safe, very Catholic atmosphere, and they built a, a, a Catholic community somewhere out in the woods. And, you know, everybody was writing and nobody was farming. You know, it, it, it fell apart. It was a disaster. And, um, um, yeah, it'll come to me as soon as we sign off. I'll, I'll think of <laughs> integrity. Read. Aha, I got integrity. it. Integrity. So, Integrity Magazine. Look in the Angelus Press catalog and you'll see a bunch of reprints, um, books, entire books, which are collections of Integrity articles on different things. And it's very edifying stuff. It's but the, it it flopped. Now sometimes the greatest, sometimes great saints have enterprises that flopped. Uh, Saint Charles de Foucault, his his uh, his monastic enterprise in Africa flopped. Nobody joined him. One guy joined him, Frère Michel, and he ran away screaming because he couldn't take it. <laughs> so he's so saying uh, there's hope for me. Well, some t- yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you know, I have to be nice. No, just kidding. Mike. Yeah. No, I mean, I think this myself all the time. I mean, I, I, I feel like the, I feel like sometimes the, 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 the you know, textbook belly flop in life. Um, like, you know, what, what am I doing here? Are we, are we, I constantly have that sensation of spinning my wheels. But you know, our, we, we're here to give witness to a certain truth. Ultimately, we're here to give glory to God. And if we actually orient our purpose, we're not here to be part of a movement. We're here to give glory to God and to love our neighbor, right? To give, you know, the angel, the angel said it best, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men of goodwill. Our Lord took that later. That was said over his crib. Later in life, our Lord said it this way, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with a whole heart, mind, soul, strength, and will, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. If we get that right, then, you know, movements be damned. It really doesn't matter, right? We, you know, St. Benedict didn't say, I'm going to start this movement. There's going to be monasteries all over Europe. I'm going to have this thing called Christendom that's going to come up. 
He wasn't thinking that. He was thinking, I want to love God and love my neighbor, and I want to live a holy life doing that. Brother, I think that that is the, the, uh, one of the most profound takeaways, and I've heard you say it before, and I want to say you, did a, you might have done a reconquest on this. And people must know this, that uh, St. Benedict's a father of monasticism, he did. Yeah, but that's not, what he, that's, not what, that's not why he wound up at Monte Cassino. He was trying to, to live the love and to serve God, and he was just like, you know what? I don't think I can do it with these people over here as my neighbors. They're really bad, and they're, and they're a horrible influence, and they keep me up late at night, and they're and drunk. He went, and he went to learn from another saint. He learned from um, St. Saint, uh, Romanus, I think. Um, uh, he, he learned how to, um, how to be a monk. Uh, and that 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 was his beginnings. He he had to be a novice himself, um, and then he, later he had this great genius for Roman legislation. But he, so we're a little over. But I I think it's important. Let me just mention this, Mike. In Saint Benedict's rule, this is a very this is kind of a key to understanding the concept we we just talked about. That it's not about movements. It's about it's about keeping the commandments of our Lord and, and keeping the councils as well in as much as they apply to you in your state and life. But when St. Benedict, what St. Benedict says in the, in the rule about um, who the abbot should look for in candidates who present themselves to be monks, he doesn't say, listen to how good he is at Gregorian chant. And by the way, I'm not putting down Gregorian chant, so don't take anything I'm saying here as a put down of anything. He doesn't say, listen to how well he sings Gregorian chant. He doesn't say, listen to how smart he is and see if he knows scholastic philosophy and see if he can, you know, if he can, um, you know, write tractates of theology. Um, uh, and he's, what he says is this, simply, is he seeking God, period. That's the qualification for being a Benedict, Benedictine monk, according to St. Benedict. And that is, seek ye first the kingdom of God, uh, and uh, his All these things will be given to you. Uh, doesn't he say, in his justice? Or, or in seek ye first the things, things, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his justice, and all these things will be given to That's you. That's right, and then... Uh, and justice is holiness. I mean, in biblical language, justice is holiness. So, uh, folks, be, uh, I hate to quote Hannity, but be, uh, be, of, good, be of good heart, um, <laughs> or let not your heart be troubled. Uh, also remember, uh, St. Benedict also had in his rule, uh, and you, this is why you should all read John Senior's Restoration of Christian Culture, because he demolishes that we're going to build the, the, these holy homesteads and put 100-yard um, wide and 100, and 100 feet deep moats around them to keep all of the, uh, the bad people out idea in one of the chapters and then winds up with pretty much what, what, what brother just said um, but there's also a chapter in the restoration of Christian culture which you can get at shop.mikechurch.com it's all about it, it's just titled Aura et Labora Aura et Labora, prayer and works prayer and works, prayer and works that's part of the formula, it's part of what you do and another thing Michael Thomas of Sharon said and I really appreciated Michael saying this and he says it very cheerily, cheerfully which is, uh, don't worry about forming chapters if you can, fantastic. Um, but go out and do things. He said, go out and do things. Just do things. Stop theorizing about it. Stop writing about it. Stop dreaming about it. Just do them. <laughs> it's important. What's on tonight's Reconquest? Aha, uh -huh. I thought you'd never ask, Mike. <laughs> uh, tonight's Reconquest is, quote, 
virtue is the order of love, end quote. It's a quote from, um, well, let's just say a certain father and doctor of the church who shall remain nameless. Ah. That'll be a... That'll yeah. Be a yeah, you have to tune yeah. in. Exactly. It's a great teaser. Don't forget to get your tickets to the St. Benedict Center Conference, October th- uh, uh, 13th and 14th. Uh, go to Catholicism.org forward slash conference. Brother, tell the sisters that I inquired about their health. Uh, Sister Maria Therese, that I enjoyed the hourglass. And uh, we will see you, if not sooner, because things may arise, next uh, next week. And God bless you and uh, Mary keep you. And, all, and everyone at the same. It is a community there, folks. It's not just the center. There's a lot of great people that live nearby and are part of that community. So God bless you, brother. You too, Mike. Thank you. God bless our listeners.